You are listening to Trophy Horse with your hosts, Tricky Mick, Alex, I Yield to No One, Steve, and Sid. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Trophy Wars. This is episode 426. I'm your host, Tricky Mick. Alongside with me, the man, the myth, the legend, he's Alex. You know, for being the first person you introduce, I'm clearly not the most important on the important person on this show. Well, we know that. He brings the awesome every week. It's I Yield to No One. You know, I've been enjoying my spring break. been playing a lot of video games. And at the end, my spring break got extended. So I've been playing even more video games. Yeah. Oh God, it's like Yields back in college. I know. I never went to college. All right. And now we I teased this on our Facebook group earlier. We have a very special guest. He is a man that I look forward to talking to every time we get him on the show. He is the, uh, make sure I get this right, principal technical artist at Volition. It's Jeff Hanna. I'm going to delay all of my answers like that for social distancing reasons. um, You'll be perfect this episode. Well played. Well played. Uh, Jeff, it's been a long time. You pointed out uh, it's been two years since we've had an episode. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Uh, You know, life moves on. Uh, My my well and trusty 20 year old Subaru died this two weeks ago and that has me very sad but you know other than that things are good all right and gentlemen how are you doing with the uh the whole coronavirus quarantine and well yeah you you ought to know that and yield your 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 time off has been extended yeah honda's not working so i don't work uh i am uh for anybody that cares uh my eye is getting better so hopefully i will be going back to work soon have you regained vision uh, or partial vision uh i am still at the uh point of uh remember when we were kids uh trying to watch playboy channel through the, the, the through the fuzz trying to see a nipple that's my left eye right now so, so it hasn't gotten better colorful and staticky <laughs> i can see color out of it but it's still a little fuzzy wow no oh. Well, uh, it's uh, so it's the fuzz starting to starting to form a picture, or is it still fuzzy? No, it's still fuzzy. No. Jeff, uh, I don't know if you saw, but I had a mishap at work. I would just step into a truck, and my foot slipped off the step and fell face first. I well, eyeball first into a steering wheel, and was completely blind in my eye for two weeks. And it sounds like now your eye is at about PlayStation One level graphics. That. You know what? That's a better analogy. I like that. Also, Tricky, it's rude for you to assume that we all had access to the Playboy channel. Some of us had to deal with Skinamax. Well, same thing. I mean, just talking in general tones here. Skinamax, you know, uh, HBO at night, whatever you want to call it. I'm, I'm still just trying to see a nipple. That's all I'm trying to do. Even to this day still? Even to this day, yes. Even to this day. Just try to I, see I don't a think nipple. we ever... I don't think we ever stop trying to see nipples. This is getting way off the Yeah, rails. this is way <laughs> derailed. Let's go into this our is update. a social experiment that Tricky I, doesn't want to continue. 
All right, level 55, total trophies of 12,971 with 238 Platinums. Alex. I am level 31 with a total trophy count of 6,926 total trophies and a platinum count of 103 Platinums and 102 games. Yield. Yo. I hate you. I, that's, I got cool. Um, level 28, trophy count of 6036 and a platinum count of 95. And Sid is level 40, total trophies of 9,573 with 171 Platinums. And I don't know why I'm asking this, but Jeff, what is your levels? Uh, Negative one, and that's about it. Yes. Uh, Yeah, I I have negative one trophy and zero Platinums. And he's also level zero. Yeah. Yep. All right, so uh, let's get into what we're playing. Jeff, let's start with you. Uh... Obviously, we know what you're working on, but have you been playing anything else? Uh, I, I have been 100% completely addicted to Sea of Thieves for the past two years. I get on there almost every night with a couple of other technical artists from the industry, and we just get a ship going and sail around and do piratical shenanigans and and take other pirates out and hunt quests and just have fun sailing around. How often do you run into the Kraken? Uh, Well, you have to know when it's going to appear and then hopefully not venture out away from an island. But I did just on a boat with two guys the other night get Krakened while in the middle of a fight with a skeleton galleon. It did not end well. (laughs) For the the Kraken or for you? Uh, For me. Oh darn! Yeah, we had to get another ship. Is is the Kraken still that tough? I mean, I, I heard they eased up a little bit. It's well, it's tough when you're already low on cannonballs and you're fighting another skeleton galleon, and you weren't expecting to get Krakened. Uh, it's not it's not a fun time. Especially, it's not a fun time when, I don't know, a pirate like me might see you getting krakened and may go ahead and swim all the way over from his ship through the inky black water to board your ship while you're distracted and then set fire to it and then hop back off, which I have done (laughs) numerous other pirates. Oh, that's just evil. No, that's That's pirate. That's a pirate right there. Um, When they they introduced fire into the game, soon after they introduce cooking to the game. And if you leave an item on the frying pan for too long, it will burn and then it will catch your boat on fire. So one of my favorite things to do is to sneak onto other boats and then just put a fish on the frying pan and leave. (laughs) Excuse me, I think you left the stove on. I'm feeling some shades of uh, Home Alone here and the Wet Bandits with them going into people's houses and leaving the water running. Jeff over here is... uh... He's starting fires by, you know, low-level cooking on their ships. Oh, yeah. He's doing or, a fish fry. Or you climb up in the crow's nest and take a nap so they don't see your name and wait for them to catch up, like, collect a bunch of loot, and then when they're not looking, hop down and steal the best thing and hop overboard. They have no idea whatever happened to this you. Is, this is perhaps the most passive form of pirate subterfuge I've, I've ever heard of. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It, it speaks to me on so many levels. Now, hold on. When the Kraken comes out after people... Like, is it like uh-huh. a big production to the, like, like announce it? Or is it like you all of a sudden turn oh, no. around and there's a tentacle on your ship and you had no idea? You're sailing along and all of a sudden this really moody music starts to play and the water all around your ship goes jet black 
and then tentacles start coming up out of the water. Okay, so and they, they give will... you the opportunity. They announce it, so you have the opportunity to piss yourself before it actually shows up. Yes, and then while you're in the inky black water, your ship does not move very fast at all. So you're really kind of screwed. Well, is it the same for when you swim? Like you have trouble swimming through the inky black water? Uh, it's a, it's you do move slower, and you will take a little bit of damage. Um, I have, in fact, won a Kraken battle once where it took our ship under, and then there was only like one or two tentacles left, so the, the three of us from the ship actually just using our guns and swords finished the Kraken off that way. Um, Magnificent. So, right? You do, what you, you do what you have to. So, And this is why I just keep going back to this game. It's it, To me, it's very old school in the we don't lead you by the nose through quests or missions, it's here's a world with a bunch of stuff to do, but honestly, you're on your own to make up your own fun. And I love that part of it. Alright. Uh, Yield, what are you playing, sir? So, I uh, finished off all three DLC campaigns for Strange Brigade. Uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> i uh, been playing Extinction. Is that the uh, one where you force? take down like the giant like ogres? Yes. Is it fun? Uh, I've been playing some. I I enjoy it. I understand somebody was complaining. I was trying to look for a a, uh, a trophy guide, and someone was throwing a hissy fit about how it was boring and repetitive. And I can understand where he's coming from, but I didn't pick the game up expecting it to be, you know, on the level of The Last of Us. I picked it up just for something to play and have fun, and that's what it is. So, um, I've been say I've been playing Broforce, uh, played some Wreckfest, World of Warship Legends, and then I also fired uh, fired up Borderlands the pre sequel. Started running through that, and mm-hmm. uh, refired up uh, Psychonauts, so I could finish out the platinum on that. Boy, you can really tell that Yields had a lot of time on his hands in these past couple weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because he's playing something other than World of Warships. Yes. Now, Yield, you had beaten Psychonauts before, right? Because I remember us having a discussion about the Meat Circus and how much you disliked F, it. F uh, the, meat the Meat Circus. circus. <laughs> F the Meat Circus, but I still love the game. Yeah, I, uh, I, as I was playing through the game the first time, I was just like, well, I'll go back and get everything else when I get done through the game. Because I was really enjoying just plowing through the game. Okay, okay. Keep going, keep going. And then I was like, okay, I think now I'll go back and I'll start, I beat the game, and I'm like, okay, let's go back and finish the scavenger hunt, and let's get all my my uh, side cards. Let's do all that. Oh, so I was looking through the trophy guide. Oh, there's a point of no return, and I've passed that. So I literally have to play the game all, all the way over again. To, to and then not pass the point of no return so I can finish everything. So at that point, I was kind of disgruntled with myself. So I, you know what? I'm going to put the game off to the side. I'm going to go play other stuff. Now I'm like, you know what? I'm going to come back to it. I'm going to finish it. I never realized, and maybe I just didn't notice while I was playing it, that the, the Meat Circus had garnered as much heat as the Ocarina of Time Water Temple because apparently people just hate the Meat Circus, and I never got that when I played through it. Played through it. I, I only hate it because there are certain jumps that you have to make and you can't get the it you can't position the camera. So sometimes you make the jump and it works perfectly. Other times you make it and you're jumping off into nothing. 
I don't remember the Meat Circus being a frustration when I played it when it first came out on the original Xbox as much as I hated it recently when I went back and replayed it on the PC. I don't. I have no memory of the Meat Circus being as annoying as other people say it is until recently when I went back and played the game. It's really bizarre. And can you move the camera on the PC or no? I th- uh, yeah, but it's still an, it's still some of the jumps are just they look like you can make them and then you can't. It's yeah. I've never played Psychonauts, so I can't speak to this. It's it's it, it's an absolutely fun game. It it, it, mm-hmm. it really it really messes with your head, which is fun. But there are just certain aspects of the game where you're just like, oh, why? And and the meat circus really certain parts of the meat circus really just amplify all of that because I remember there are like where struggling to get around like the like climbing poles and like tightrope walking in the camp like that was a struggle for me when it comes to the platforming in like that regard and I probably had some str- struggles with the meat circus but maybe I was just kind of like so into the game because I was sucked into every single level and I loved how every single level was so different and I like the concept behind the meat circus and you know what you were going to fight. So maybe that kind of like blinded me, gave me some rose tinted glasses, and I was willing to take on more bullshit and put up with it than I would now if I went back and said, "Oh yeah, this isn't as fun as I thought it was." The meat circus right. is definitely offset by the brilliance of an entire level done in the art style of black light fluorescent paint on black velvet. Black velvetopia. That's my favorite level in the game. Oh, it's so. It's it's just brilliant. It's so good. All right, Alex, what have you been playing? Well, I can't believe you're still asking me, but uh, they they uh, <laughs> after the Gasbox Grand Prix and Crash Team Racing, they've uploaded a ton of new content, including reskins, uh, a couple new cars, a whole bunch of different stuff. So I'm I'm playing some more Crash Team Racing in um, in uh, well while waiting for The Last of Us Part Two. All right, and I've been playing the Division Two, obviously. obviously. Uh, played it, obviously. I uh, played a little bit more of Control. I'm start really starting to like that game. Uh, I am looking right now just because uh, I'm doing a memory. I'm having a brain fart. Uh, yeah, that's all I've been playing. But I want to talk about the Division Two real quick because two funny moments happened, and I know that you guys will get a kick out of this. Uh, Yield, you guys, or well, everybody. Do you, do you remember me telling you that the cleaners in the game are basically uh, former uh, sanitation workers and garbage men and stuff like that? Yes. All right. So I come across, uh, you know, when you run through the open world, there's normally like uh, factions in certain places and they're just, you know, random enemies. But occasionally you'll come up on a group of enemies that are just standing still. They're not patrolling. They're just, you know, hanging out. Uh, the first time I came up on a group of three cleaners, they were just standing in a circle. And normally, I like I just attack them and you know I move on. But this particular situation, I was running up, and then my daughter needed me, so I just hid behind cover and helped her. And I turned back around, and just as I was about to kill them, I hear one of the cleaners cough. I see the other two cleaners, without saying a word, just turn around and lit them on fire. <laughs> wow, tough union. Then 
I was like, I, I, I'm kind of curious if like other factions will do this. So I found a group of Rikers. Obviously, you know, there were you know ex criminals that broke out of you know Rikers prison. I come up a group and I sat there and I sat there for about a minute or two. And again, just before I was about to just throw the you know secret mind to kill them, I see one of the Rikers turn around, shoot another Riker in the foot or in the leg. Just cause he turns around and goes, yeah, and he goes, what the fuck, man? He goes, ah, don't worry, it's a flesh wound, it will heal. He goes, dude, that fucking hurt. He goes, oh, don't worry about it. I'll buy you a steak later. And the other, and the guy that got shot goes, fuck that. I want two steaks. And then they just kept back hanging out. Wow. When <laughs> I I was just amazed, like somebody actually programmed this into the game, and oh, yeah. I never saw them because I just ran. I just like come across them. I just killed them. But apparently they have like interactions, and the cleaners, you know, because their whole motto is that they burn all the disease away. So when the guy coughed, they didn't even ask questions. They just lit his ass on fire. <laughs> well, I mean, like, you, almost in every single video game, there's Easter eggs of some sort. Like, you go to YouTube and find Easter egg videos for, like, tons of games. And, and you know, Jeff, maybe you can answer this. Like, I would assume that's something that people, like, developers love putting into games because they want to see how deep people will search into the game. Oh. Uh, Air Warrior 2, which shipped 1992? Uh, I put a video on the disc. Uh, it was a World War II training video. It was a it was a a video of developing a system to rescue downed pilots from behind enemy lines. Like I'm sure you've seen modern times. Like they'll send in the KC-130 really low, and it has this boom out front, and it'll snag a balloon, and then lift the guy off the ground. Well, this is what they were developing, and they were they developed it with a sheep. And so it's this whole, like, 1940s era with the voiceover movie about the airplanes and the sheep. And sheep were a big thing in Air Warrior. And it took players all of, I think, five minutes from the time the game was available in the store till someone posted in the online forums. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It, that stuff gets found out so quick. I mean, look at what happens with, like, a new GTA release. In modern times, people – or uh, GTA Online – People data mine the, the the files to see if they can they'll diff them between different versions of the game to see what new things are in there. I mean it's it's this whole weird subculture that isn't even interested in just finding them organically. They're going to dig through the actual like hexadecimal code to find this crap. So it's well, it, it's it, 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 there are no secrets anymore in that regard. Well, that that leads me to a question. I was going to ask you this later in the show, but I, I guess this is a perfect segue into it with. You know, with the internet and everything like that, how frustrating is it for a developer that's working on something that it gets leaked before they're able to showcase it in their own way? It is and it isn't. Um, I mean, all press is good press, even the bad press. And oftentimes the stuff that, like, I know what you're leading towards in this discussion. Oftentimes the things that are out there aren't necessarily the latest and greatest. I mean, it's not like the era of the Half-Life 2 source code leaking. That was that was just literally tectonic shift in the, how the industry paid attention to what it was doing. The things that get out there now, eh, you know, you gotta. sometimes I gotta wonder if they weren't intentionally put out there. All right, well, you can, I mean, this uh, again, this is a good segue into our first topic here, mm -hmm. in that Mortal Kombat 11 Rumor is getting 11 new characters, 11 more characters. 
Uh, one of those characters you'll you'll be happy to know uh, if you did play Mortal Kombat is Ash Williams has actually uh, been datamined and found out to be in the game. Groovy. Um, so, and then, hold on, I just clicked the wrong link. The other link that I found literally like 20 minutes before we started recording, somebody datamined it and found out that uh, this is coming from 4chan, so as the article says, uh, you know, take this with a grain of salt, the other characters are Ash, Siva, Shiva, Fujin, Cyrax, Sector, Kirsty Cotton, Melina, Talzia, the Creeper, and Serena. And all in all, it says that there, uh, from the day the game was launched, there's been 42 character slots. So, I mean, Jeff, that's why I was asking you, because like stuff like this, you know, obviously, I don't think you know Warner Brothers wants this information out there, but. This has got to be frustrating when this stuff gets leaked, when you it, can't have that surprise yourself. Well, it, it is and it isn't, and a lot of this isn't the developer being sneaky. Um, keep in mind that, in general terms, you release a game on the PlayStation, you release a game on the Xbox, they allow you one title update for free, right? And then after that one... If there's something wrong with the game, you're paying to issue that patch. But you also and have it's not to, cheap. It's not cheap, and you. But you also have to have the game set up to accept DLC, right? So you have to you have to go ahead and in the base game set aside a certain amount of memory for we're going to add a certain number of characters later on. So it could just be that 42 is the magic number that they arrived at for how much memory that they could actually pre-allocate and just leave unused in the base game for future characters. That doesn't mean that they will ever release all 42. It just means that they have the capability of releasing up to 42. Now, I'm not saying I know one way or the other what's going to happen with Mortal Kombat 11. It could be they're going to drop 11 new characters tomorrow, or it could be that that's just what their budget allowed them to allocate. Well, also, I guess it would depend depend on the... Um how successful the game was. I mean, Mortal Kombat, you probably don't have any issues with that, but if another game was planned to release a certain number of characters and the game didn't hit financially, it doesn't make a lot of sense for the company to continue pumping out, you know, 30 more characters. Exactly. They may, they very easily could have plans to do a number of characters, and then, like you said, the game doesn't do well, and they just, that, that team fades off onto another project, and that's never realized. Let me, let me ask yeah. you a question, Jeff. You said that uh, the patches, you get one for free, and then the rest after that are, uh, you have to pay for does that include, mm-hmm. like, say, like, uh, I'm playing Crash Team Racing, and every month, you know, for eight months, they released a new Grand Prix with new content, a new track, all this different stuff. Do they have to pay for all of those updates, or is it just, like, technical fixes and patches? It's it's technical fixes and patches. It's anytime you have to basically, let's just call it the executable, even though that's not really the same thing on a console. It's anytime you have to patch the executable for the game. So in the case of what you described, more than likely when the game shipped, it already had the ability to accept all of those monthly updates. Either they have a way to swap things in and out off a disk, or they've pre-allocated all this extra memory in the running game. So the game executable itself is fine, and then they've struck a deal with, with Sony to publish so many DLC packs, and that's a totally different pricing structure. But if they next week discover that there's a really big security flaw in the base game and they need to patch it, now they're going to be having huge negotiations with Sony about, well, we need to patch this, and base price to issue a patch is this, but, and there will, there'll be a lot of negotiations that go on, but there will be a charge for that update to the executable. 
Yeah, I, I've heard that every time there's like a title update, um, it it costs developers upwards of forty thousand dollars to patch it like that. Uh, thirty-five to forty is is a good round number. Yep. And you can, when you set the publishing deal up, you can always negotiate. Hey, you know, we want to get two title patches, or we want to get three title patches for free. And depending on the game and how well known it is, all that stuff's always on the table. Luckily, for what I do, that is not anything I ever have to deal with. That's all up in the marketing and the publishing realm. Um, but it's all it, it all comes down to money and prestige, right? But Obviously. yeah, 30, 35 to 40 is a good, anytime you see a, a, like a title update, like a, not a day zero bug fix, but a, a week one bug fix or a month one bug fix, there's a good amount of money behind that for sure. Uh, well, that's certainly <coughs> like the idea that, pe- that people just, you know, release a broken game and then fake, well, we'll fix it later through patches. That would certainly fly in the face of that because you figured that they would want to have a game as gold as they could put out. At, at the very start, without having to patch a bunch and lose a bunch of money along the way. Exactly, exactly. And and a lot of times these day zero patches come around because when you start out making a game, you go to Microsoft and Sony and you're like, "We're going to make this game and we want to ship on this date." And then they, Microsoft and Sony will look at a schedule and go, "Well, if you want to ship on that date, then you need to submit the game to us for certification." Four months prior to that, six months prior to that. By the way, that six-month window is completely full, so you might need to move the game out. So then you scramble to get the game done, sometimes a half year before it's going to see the light of day on the marketplace, and you generally schedule two, two passes through certification. Because if it, if it gets bounced off the first one, then you already have a second one lined up. Now, if it gets bounced off the second one, that's when... The negotiations start. It all comes down to negotiations, and the negotiations are, well, you only dinged us on these four things. We can have those fixed by the time it ships, so let's go ahead and move forward, and we'll just have a day zero patch. And so that so, a, a lot of a lot of the timing of when you go through certification comes into play on whether or not they knowingly put a game out that's going to need a day zero patch. So can you explain to me, uh, you know, the, the term gone gold generally happens 30 days before... You know, we, you know, the general public gets the game. What's the difference between going gold and certification then? Uh, once your game passes certification, you don't get it back. You, it is out of your control because the neither neither platform wants you or any of the platforms. This, I mean, I don't, I don't deal with Nintendo, so I don't speak a lot to Nintendo games. But once your game passes certification, more than likely, it's out of your hands. Because they don't want you changing it and possibly introducing a regression bug that they would then have to test for again. So it passes certification. They handle the production of the discs. They handle the the manufacturing of the boxes, or in this case, putting the code up on a digital download store. And that's it. You're done. Um, you can't touch it. Now, you may continue to be working on that code base because you know you're going to need a day zero patch or you're going to have DLC out like a week or two after the game's out. So people are still working on it, but it's not like they're like, okay, you pass certification here, have have your have your gigantic wad of files back. That never happens. So I'm, I'm assuming that going gold is when you submit, is before you submit it to certification. So it goes gold and then you submit it to certification. Well, it, what your gold master to, this is all outdated terminology, would be what you send a certification. Going gold used to mean you burned the special, not cheap DVD or CD. You, you spent the money on the good one. 
um, and that's what you sent off to the publisher to make the game out of. It's it, Now it just means that the game has been sent to certification. We're done with it, is what that means. We can't touch well, it again. Okay, well, I'm a little confused because you said sometimes, uh, so, you know, putting your game in for certification <clears throat> is up to six months, but yeah. generally we hear about a game going gold no more than 30 days before it hits the public market. So, I mean, essentially it's the same thing. Six months is extreme, but generally your certification process is going to be a few months before it hits the marketplace. Um, if somebody's telling you it went gold and then it's on the store shelves the next week, that's not true. I mean, it takes more than a week to make all those discs and distribute them anyways. It's a, it's a month plus, two months probably more than is probably closer to average just to get things out there in the channel and certification takes uh, sometimes it takes two weeks right and if you miss your first certification run then you got a second one so there's a month tied up right there in certification so now you're at possibly three months um so yeah it, it adds up real quick and then if you're going for one of the high pressure areas on the calendar like christmas then you're probably going to have to find a certification date that isn't already overwhelming the certification departments of either of the platform holders. And so you may have to go even farther out. Um, All right, because I, I, I a game the... that ships on Black Friday is done by the end of August or wow. early September. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, because I didn't, I didn't put this in the agenda, but there was a story about uh, Final Fantasy VII, uh, you know, which com is coming out soon. You know, a lot of people are wondering why they just didn't put it out early if it's done, because obviously there's disc out in the market and people have broken street date. Mm -hmm. I mean that. See that that's the thing would I was confusing me is because obviously the game's done. You know, could Square Enix just essentially turn around and say, okay, yeah, we're releasing the game now? They could try and they could put it up on digital stores, but in terms of physical stores. They've probably struck deals for purchasing end caps. They've probably struck deals for having signage in the stores. And all of that is date dependent. And so if you've gone to GameStop and you've bought all the end caps on all of the shelving units on every GameStop in the country, and that date starts on April 15th, well, if you then call GameStop and say, we want you to put the game on the store shelf April 1st, well, they probably already have an existing end cap and, and signage deal for somebody from April 1st to April 14th. They can't just kick those people aside. So your signage isn't going to show up until the time that you contracted it. And that makes so, sense. Well, I, I, I work in a grocery store, and we have different sales cycles that feature different items. And companies pay to have, you know, like end caps during certain sales cycles. And, you know, so another company couldn't be like, hey... I'm coming in and taking over this because someone's already bought that space. So, I mean, that that, uh, that hits close to home for me. Yeah, and on the digital stores, I, mean, I can speak to the Microsoft store and the Xbox store. I don't use PlayStation that much, but you'll log on to those stores, even online, and oftentimes the main page has been taken over or the big banner ad is for you know, New Game X. All of that is date-dependent also. Uh, and, those, and all of those contracts are worked out to be certain times in the calendar. So if you want to release your game early, chances are you're not going to get the takeover on the main page. Or you're paying someone else to circumvent what they'd already done with Microsoft to get, their, to get the main page takeover for them. Same thing on all the web pages. I mean, you want to release Final Fantasy 37 two weeks early and you go to IGN and you're like, we want Final Fantasy 37 all over the front page. And IGN's like, can't do it. Already got somebody on that front page for those dates. 
So there's all sorts of there all sorts of cogs have to mesh together perfectly to have a, a game released with all the fanfare it's supposed to have. All right. I Basically like the like behind the scenes stuff. Based on newspaper. Uh huh. <laughs> yep. Would you say you'll do? I said I like the behind the scenes stuff. You you don't really know all this stuff that goes into it. Oh, it's making sausage. Well, see, I when I I I understand everything Jeff said, and you know, but I was thinking like now with GameStop's closed, Best Buy's are closed, and stuff like that, would it be beneficial for Square Enix just to turn around and say, okay, release our game because they're not going to get the physical store end caps? Not a good idea. Well, I mean, I'm playing Animal Crossing. Oh yeah, right. Um, <laughs> and, and that's a. I mean, we're in uncharted territory here for sure. I mean, look what how what was it a day before Amazon Prime Video had a whole new section set up for you to be able to watch movies that haven't even been released in the theater yet. Right. Right. And so you may see something like that. It's you never know right now. I'd certainly right. wouldn't want to go to a GameStop. I heard a rumor this week that managers are telling employees that if somebody's coming by for curbside pickup, well, we haven't gotten you gloves, so just put a plastic bag over your hand to take the money. Oh, I didn't. Oh, that's horrible. Uh, I'm hoping it's a rumor. <sighs> All right, let's go on to our next story. This story is coming from PushSquare.com. Uh, PlayStation Network download speeds are slowed in the U.S. and Europe to prevent internet band. Pre- excuse me, to preserve internet bandwidth. Ooh. Earlier this week, Sony announced it will be restricting the PlayStation Network's download speeds in an attempt to preserve internet access for as many people as possible and lessen the impact on service providers during the coronavirus outbreak. Initially, this incentive was limited to European territories, but now the hardware manufacturer announced it's taking the same precautions across the United States. Man, I guess we can really tell they don't like Europe. In an updated statement on the PlayStation blog, Group President Jim Ryan explained, quote, Beginning today, we will take a similar measure to Europe and the United States and will continue to take the appropriate action to do our part to help ensure Internet stability as this unprecedented situation continues to evolve. We are grateful for the role we play in helping to deliver a sense of community and entertainment in these very trying times. Thank you again for your support, your patience, and being part of the PlayStation community. Please stay home and stay safe, end quote. I will say that it annoyed me when my the latest update download for Crash Team Racing on Friday uh, took forever, like two to three hours. But if, you know them slowing down speeds like i feel like they have a good reason right now since so many people are at home kind of throttling the internet it's yeah it's not that sony hates europe um there were a ton of announcements over the past two weeks uh amazon netflix disney plus and a couple other streaming services have all reduced the video quality in europe because the internet infrastructure over there is being overwhelmed with work from home necessary services and like health coordination and so they're all sort of dialing it down just to be good players i'm surprised sony did that here they're the first company i know of that has dialed it back in the u.s Um, microsoft saw a 775 percent increase in xbox traffic and microsoft teams traffic which is a replacement for skype um over the past two weeks and so they've ramped up their ability to run both of those services instead of dialing back the bandwidth allocated to them oh i know Um, i have a bunch of people that i know that we just went out and bought nintendo switches on a whim just because they know they would have so much time on their hands like if there's one industry that's you know i don't want to say benefiting but not necessarily hurt by what's currently going on it's the video game industry 
except you can't buy a Switch to save your life now. I think the next round of shipment is not till April 9th from most retailers. So your friends are lucky they got them when they did. Yeah. No, I heard they're very hard to find. But you think about it, like, people are at home. They're like, I have nothing to oh, do. Yeah. I have this video game console. I can download stuff straight to that. Like, it's 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 not, like, obviously none of this is good for, for anybody. But the video game industry, I would think, like, with people being home and being mm. bored, like, per- video games are the perfect outlet to, like, the perfect form of escapism from all of this. Yep. Oh, absolutely. I run speed test a couple of times a day right now just to see and i have not noticed a loss in throughput from my house now granted i do live in the middle of nowhere in central illinois so it's not the same as a major metropolitan area but for the most part right now internet is not suffering for me because of all of this yield how's your internet going oh fine i haven't had any real issues but of course i I, have to run quicker i well yeah I mean, I live out in the I live out in the middle of nowhere, Midwest Ohio. So, oh, what part of Ohio? Uh, you familiar with Dayton? Yeah, um, kind of northwest of Dayton. Okay, cool. Yeah, we're we're somewhat neighbors. I'm just over in Illinois. Oh, you know what? That is something that's changed in the past two years. I have fiber straight to the house now. I've got three hundred flipping megabits a second now. So do I, or at least that's what AT&T told me when they sold me that package. I've found that it's not nearly as good as they sold it. Oh, I'm using a local regional a regional provider, and it is sometimes it's over what they quoted, and it's contract-free. I can call up tomorrow and say I want to do the jump to the gig service, and they'll just flip a switch. I could call back the next day and be like, now nah, I want to go back to the 300 service, and they'll just flip a switch. It's uh, Or I could just call up and say I'm done, and they'll just be like, all right, fine, here's your final bill. It's crazy. Sounds like you got a pretty sweet deal. It's 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 crazy how you could actually like make that work, and that major corporations don't want to handle it like that. Well, I think a lot of consumers, like after being tied to cell phone contracts for years, like they they don't want that now. They want the ability to, if a company you know get like the quality of the service goes down or like the bills like ratchet up, they want the ability to kind of switch and, and shop around of it. You know, instead yep. of being tied down for one to two years. Yeah, and I completely lucked out on this because my neighborhood was not slated to get this service. And then the they were running it down the east side of my neighborhood and they and they were going to wire up the community off to the west of my neighborhood and they decided that my road was the best way to run the fiber through to connect up the community to the west. And so they're like, "Well, if we're running the fiber down the street, we're going to hook up the houses on the street." Yes! Awesome. Score! (laughs) All right, let's get on to our next story. Uh, A Sony spokesperson has said the coronavirus outbreak should cause no impact on the launch date of the PlayStation 5. Speaking to Bloomberg, the spokesman said the company, quote, does not see any notable impact, end quote, on the unspecified holiday 2020 release date for the PlayStation 5. We already heard a Sony retained PR agency make a similar statement, but this is the first time at so, so, someone at Sony itself has made the comment. The sentiment that has been echoed by GameStop CEO George Sherman, who earlier said that there has been, quote, no indication of delays to either the PlayStation 5 or the Xbox Series X at this point. Yeah. IGN's Jonathan Dordwich really recently spoke to six video game industry analysts who, despite caveats that they were dealing with unprecedented circumstances, came to consensus that it's unlikely the next-gen consoles will be delayed. However, production shutdowns could still 
lead to reduced number of consoles being produced in time for launch, meaning shortages in the months after release. Yeah, I was going to say, whether they delay it or not, I'm still not going to be able to find a PlayStation 5 by the end of the year, so. No. That's all right, Alex. We weren't getting ours day one anyway. I'll, I'll just hang around with the PlayStation 4, and I'll live vicariously through Tricky on Twitch. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh... Jeff, are you planning to get a Series X at launch, or are you going to wait a little while? Uh, you know, I don't know. Um, it's not high on my list right now, but finances are kind of up in the air, given I have to look for a new car and some other things. Um, so I haven't really been thinking about it too much. Um, I also don't think I want to upgrade to the next generation of console until I'm also ready to upgrade to an HDR television or a 4K television. No sense in taking one of these powerhouses and connecting it up to a regular 1080p screen. Well, just just get Tricky to sell you one on the cheap. I'm sure he's got like 10 4K televisions in his house. <laughs> oh, well, I went I went to buy a TV. Um, oh, here's something else that maybe I didn't talk about when I was on the last time. Um, my wife and I own a small business now. Um, it's in-home care for seniors, and sh- she opened up an office next town over. And so we were kitting the office out and we needed to do uh, a TV for training. And I went to the local Walmart and I'm like, I just need to get like a 50 inch 1080p TV. They don't carry those anymore. It's it's 4K bare minimum. And a 50 inch 4K TV was still under $300. It kind of blew my mind. I think this one's even HDR. Not that we're ever going to do that on it, but it it also has AirPlay and uh, Chromecast and a bunch of other stuff built into it, and it's just like for three hundred bucks, these things are out there. It just I couldn't I couldn't believe it. I haven't shopped for a television in a long time, so an HDR TV is not going to break the bank when I get one of these consoles. But it's also not something I'm aiming to do right now anyway. All right. So let me ask you a question because I actually just popped in my head. You're you're on the advisory board for the GDC, right? I I am. This would be my tenth year. Okay. So last week we talked about the uh, the Sony press conference, uh, w- which was essentially, as Mark Sony said, was going to be the speech that they were going to deliver at GDC. Mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to phrase this question so it doesn't come off wrong, but. Is that the type of speeches that are given at GDC? I mean, like, that speech obviously wasn't for the gamers. That was for people like you and developers, correct? Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and like, when you hear stuff like that, do you know any of that information ahead of time? Or is it just, is that when it's laid out to you that this is what the PlayStation 5 is going to be doing? Uh, I, I cannot say whether or not I knew those specs ahead of time. Um, but it's not for a vast majority of the industry though might be the first time they ever hear those specs. I mean, the first Xbox way, way back in the day was announced at GDC every year at GDC unreal packs a theater multiple times a day for multiple days to show you what's coming up in the next version of unreal engine. I mean, this is where these types of technological unveils should be happening because game developers are the target audience for that level of information. Okay. I mean, because a lot of people, I mean, obviously, a lot of people got hate because they wanted to see gameplay or they wanted to see the console. And I kept telling people that were upset about it. I was like, that speech wasn't for the gamers. That was for developers to 
for them to know what's going to be in the PlayStation 5 and how this is going to help them develop for it and make it easier. Because a couple of times, you know, Mark Cerny said, this is going to be much easier to develop for than it was for the PlayStation 3 or the PlayStation 4 because this is what we've done with the hard drive and the memory and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of wanted to touch base with you because I know you're on the advisory board to GDC. Yep. Like, with Mark. I just wanted to... Oh, Mark's our advisor, on the advisory board as well? Yep. I See, I didn't know that. Yeah. And I, I gotta say, I like Mark Cerny. I like I like the way he talks, the way he presents. Like he just seems like a very cool dude. He is a very cool dude with a very dry sense of humor. He's he's wonderful. I mean, as is everybody on the advisory board. I mean, when I joined ten years ago, Mark was already on it, and I walk into a room and it's all of these notable greats from the industry, and then me, and I'm like, why am I here? And <laughs> they from day one have just been the most gracious, most accommodating, most, yes, you are, you are here because you are as good at this as we are type of people. Um, and I love every one of them to death. Mark is, Mark is wonderful people. I mean, well, yeah, like, I, I, like, in, in any situation like this, like Sony has to figure out, like, or, like when you're giving out information, you've got to figure out who your audience is and how you should most effectively present that information or what you're even going to focus on. Because Sony could have so many different press conferences on the PlayStation 5, and depending on who they're talking to, whether it be us or whether it be Jeff um, and his peer group, like they've got to present the information in a different way. So like Sony obviously is very smart, and even if they got some backlash from gamers who wanted to see footage, they knew who their audience, their intended audience was, and they presented it very well to that audience. Yeah, if you want to see gameplay footage, then you should be... I mean, E3 is the show for that. Game Developer Conference is not the show for that. Game Developer Conference is to, for game developers to teach each other how to do things better based on things that have already shipped and to see what's coming down the pipeline and to get ready for technological advances. Um, and I understand why they did it. Um, keep in mind that a month... What is it? It's uh, GDC would have been last week. So six weeks ago, we still thought GDC was happening. Five weeks ago, right. suddenly everything was in turmoil. Um, everybody on the advisory board gets assigned, I think I had eight this year, um, talks to mentor. So almost a thousand submissions happen in the month of July. And by the end of August, that's narrowed down to a much smaller group. And then by Thanksgiving, that list is down to what the final show is going to be. And then all of those people who have regular jobs making games and who have families and outside life devote a ton of time and effort to put these GDC talks together. And we are not easy mentors for these people because we want the show to be as good as it can be. Um, weekly updates to their slide deck, you know, send me a video of you rehearsing type of thing, because the last thing you want is for someone to get accepted into the show and then not touch it until a week before the show. Right. And so literally scores of thousands of hours around the world went into this show. And at the last minute, everyone was told to cancel all their travel plans and that you're not going to get a chance to stand up in front of your peer group and give your talk. And I'm sure Sony had rehearsed the crap out of that talk that Mark gave because they were a month away from giving it. And so for GDC to have accepted all of these pre-recorded sessions, not only from the big players, but from all the other people that were just on their own working to talk at the show and put them all up for free to people to watch was great. 
Um, but definitely that was the rehearsed talk that Cerny was going to stand up probably in front of about 20,000 people and give. And I'm, I'm glad they still put it out there because developers need to know what's going to hit the family rooms here in a few months. And it's not insignificant. These new platforms are huge. They're well, so I mean, powerful. I don't I don't want to sound ungrateful or anything, but would that would have probably been better served just to, to send it to developers rather than put it out to the public? Well, only air hockey broadcast to people who like hockey. You know, I can tune into a hockey game. I don't need to. I don't like hockey particularly, but it's still out there. Um People were watching it, sure, but it wasn't necessarily meant for them. But it's it's a far easier way to distribute it than for Sony to figure out who they should send it to. I mean, there are developers that Sony probably isn't even aware of because this industry is so huge with big players and tiny little mom-and-pop shops that the best way to broadcast it was to literally broadcast it. I mean, I, and I get that. I just I, I, I said last week that I think that Sony maybe marketed it wrong and just gave up false hope it wasn't marketing don't think then that's a mistake people that don't like it we're making about it it's not a marketing video it's a reveal video for the people that need to understand the technological issues it was put up on gdc's website and now i'm sure a lot of the people that are complaining that it didn't have i'm assuming the playstation talk was on gdc's website maybe sony put it on their own but it's still people were going to a talk that they probably knew wasn't intended for them. In, in which case, you can't get upset about it. Like That's like saying that you turned the TV on and just watched an entire show you weren't at all interested in and then wrote a scathing review on the internet. And I realize that's a thing people do way right. too often, but that doesn't mean it's correct. All right. Uh, Allison, do you have any more GDC questions before we move on? No. I'm just soaking it all in. Yeah, there's something something happening in August for GDC, and I don't know what that is yet. I'm curious. Um, I'm really, I'm re- I really feel for one of my mentored talks because I mentored him last year, and at the very last minute, his publisher changed the publishing date of the game, which pushed the game release past GDC 2019. And there's a rule that if you're giving a talk about a game, the game has to be generally available so people know what you're talking about, that they can have a point of reference. And so we had to cancel the talk, and what we did was we're like, you have an automatic in for 2020. You've already gone through the entire process, all the gates. You have an automatic in for 2020. And I believe he's in Russia. And so I was working with him again this spring, and he's all good to go, and he's ready to come over. And then the email went out, and we're like, sorry you're not coming and these things have about a three-year shelf life on them so next year i'm not even sure the talk is relevant anymore and that's just it's depressing it's heartbreaking because he put a ton of effort into that and then had to wait a year and put more effort into it and that's i'm sure he's not the only one in that situation some people work on these talks they submit them a couple of years before they get accepted yeah and it's just to me it's sad because you know i love that week yeah that's, that's my week Right. <laughs> I, I told you one time that uh, I was actually thinking about going to GDC and just like sitting in on a panel you were doing 
and then just wait wait until the question and answer session just pop up and go, so how do you feel about putting trophies in games to see if you recognize me? <laughs> Crap. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I have. Remove that, that man. I, I, I've I've achievement hunted like every achievement in Sea of Thieves. Uh, but see, I'm also the guy that uh, asked Meiji Nelson about flipping the switchback. So. <laughs> All right, so let's get into our next topic here. Uh, <clears throat> you don't want to get I, into why Microsoft has a guy my age marketing a console to people who half our age buy. Right, let's <laughs> let's just move on, right? Uh, I'm sorry, but this but this next one I can't help but think of Doctor Evil. Xbox Series X graphics source code reportedly stolen and is being held for 100 million dollars ransom. Now, did you do the pinky thing? I did not. Oh, a hacker, a hacker is reportedly stolen. The, the graphics dollars. source code is holding it ransom. The news arrives through a blog post on the AMD website where the hardware company explained the situation. Quote, we were contacted by someone who claimed to have test files related to the subset of our current and future graphics products. End quote. In a, according to a report from Torrent Freak, the, this data, stolen data was found in a hacked computer and includes source code for AMD's Big Navi and Arden GPUs. The latter is rumored to be the Xbox Series X 12 teraflop GPU. Segments of the code have been posted on GitHub and removed. The hacker is asking for one million for the uh, one hundred million for the code and is threatening to dump the entirety of the stolen data if a buyer isn't found. What Jeff, you could probably speak to this a little bit mm-hmm. better than we could, because what exactly is a graphic source code and how? S- Obviously, this is a serious situation, but like, how bad is this for Microsoft at this point? Well, and I. I am very confused as to what they think they want to get $100 million for, because a video card is three things. It's hardware, it's microcode, and then it's a driver, right? And there are open source AMD video drivers out there for Linux. So if you want to see what, now granted, this is a new GPU, but if you want a general idea of what you can do on an AMD GPU or an NVIDIA GPU, all you got to do is look at the Linux source code, right? Um, now, if it's the microcode, eh. You know how often microcode changes, bug fixes, and various other things? And that's not worth $100 million. Now, if it's the circuit diagram, because the way chips are done essentially in a programming language. It's not guys sitting around eight-foot drafting tables in with their shirt sleeves rolled up and pencil on, on Mylar anymore. Um these things are all tested on what's called an FPGA, a field programmable Gatorade. It's a little chip that you can actually program to make behave like other chips. Um, and so you, you design chips in a programming language, and the name of it escapes me, and then you send that program off to the chip manufacturer, and they can actually make a physical chip from that. Now, if it's that, well, yeah, that might be a problem, but... Is it a $100 million issue that's going to keep the Xbox from shipping? No, because no one's going to make their own GPU, and if they did, so what? Um, is anyone going to be able to read through this and find some really obscure way to possibly get around the security of the Xbox and you know, be able to turn it into a modder's paradise? Slim. Probably not a zero probability, but probably an entirely insignificant probability. And the thing is, 
is that if that ever happens, all Microsoft has to do is attach that second portion I talked about, the microcode, push an Xbox update, and they've probably negated it. So this person can ask for all the hundreds of millions they want. I think all they're going to get is a phone call from the FBI. Okay. Alex, you were kind of quiet. What do you think about all this? <laughs> well, I'm not the expert here. <laughs> we got Jeff's expert opinion there. <laughs> I don't have anything to offer on top of that. Damn, why are you going to come to me? I got nothing to say. Because you've been kind of quiet. <laughs> I have not been kind of quiet. I'm taking it in. We've got an expert here. I'm taking it in just like you. <laughs> I was going to say, you you still taking it in? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm soaking this all in. Now, ask what, me what tomorrow, me and I'll add? totally uh, forget. Ditto? <laughs> <laughs> Well, fair enough. All right. So, Alex, we're going to go to you first. This way, Jeff can't steal your, your, your spotlight here. Epic Games is to publish the next games from Control Inside and The Last Guardian developers. Uh, Epic, this is coming from IGN. Epic Games has announced it will be publishing the next games from Gen Design, Play Dead, and Remedy Entertainment through Epic Games Publishing and its new multi-platform publishing effort with a developer-first approach. Epic shared the news alongside a video featuring Remedy, Sam Lake, Playdead's Aunt Jenison, and Gen Design's Fumuto. I hate Japanese names. Uida. That begins to explain Fumito how the Ueda? news publishing effort. They okay. There you go. Okay. Well, hold on. There was some cute confusion there because we talked. You, you mentioned the Last Guardian. That was published by Sony, but obviously Ueda was the head of that studio for a long time, and even after he left uh, Team Eco. He was still working on the project, but he started a new studio, and they're publishing that. They're not publishing Sony uh, Computer Entertainment Japan's work. Correct. Okay, you just had me confused with having the Last Guardian in the in the headline there, the title there. Well, well, Last Guardian was in the title, so. Oh, excuse me. The Epic Games approach to publishing quote. Fu- Publishing, quote, fundamentally changes the developer-publisher model and aims to have the most developer-friendly terms in in the industry so that creators can focus on great games, end quote. This will be made true in the following ways. Full creative freedom and ownership. Developers will retain 100% of the intellectual property and full creative control of their work. Fully funded projects. Epic Games Publishing will cover up to 100% of development costs from developer salaries to go-to-market expenses such as QA, localization, marketing, and all publishing costs, and 50-50 profit sharing. Developers earn a fair share for their work. Once costs are recouped, developers earn at least 50% of all profits. It's a good deal. So, Alex? I mean... This seems really good for the developers. Uh, I have enjoyed work from all of these developers. Obviously, I, you know, Shadow of the Colossus, uh, all the stuff that UADA did as part of Team Eco. I really liked Alan Wake, which came from Remedy, and I was a huge fan of Limbo, so which you know obviously played it. So uh, I'm a big fan of the work of all three of these. So you know, it's uh, definitely something that I can appreciate that Epic Games is trying to publish content from these developers because I will most likely at least be interested in seeing uh, the contest behind their games. Yield? Sounds like a win for the developers. Jeff would be more apt to answer that one, but I mean... Well, Jeff did say this is a good deal. I heard him say it. I mean, if if they're letting the developers still own it, Epic's going to pay for the developmental cost and all that stuff, and then... Once you hit, once the cost is recuperated, then they get 50% of all the profits after that. I, it sounds like a win all the way around. 
Yeah, because I mean, I think the most important thing, and Jeff can correct me if this is wrong, but the most important thing for the developers is they get to h keep their intellectual property. They're the owners, 100%. I mean, you think about something like Heavenly Sword, how much do you think that um, Ninja Theory wishes that they had kept the rights to, to Heavenly Sword as opposed to going to Sony to publish it? Yeah, oh yeah, no, the the, the IP, the 50% revenue after costs are recouped is huge. The IP retention is probably 10 times that huge that's massive uh and i but this came out this week and there was like this collective <gasps> across the industry and i'm like the second they made their own story you had to know that they were going to start publishing games it's uh -huh. not it's not a stretch and they already have shown that they're out there to disrupt the industry with their their rev share percentages on epic store relative to retail or steam um, I mean, Valve, Valve puts games up on their store. Why wouldn't Epic want to put some games up on their store? Um, well, here's possibly I'm even surprised you guys would that have retained your IP, uh, Bungie and Halo. Don't you think they would have liked to take Halo with them? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> um, I'm surprised you guys went with this story and not the, <gasps> it no longer says Sony exclusive on the God of War webpage. I didn't even see that. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, now Tricky's going to lose sleep tonight, Jeff. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. I'm going to God of War right now. Yep. Yeah, that was that was news this week. Um, I'm guessing it's coming to the Epic Store. I'm guessing that's where the PC... Because already, isn't De Detroit Become Human and Horizon Zero Dawn are already headed to the Epic Store. Correct. Ep Epic's throwing money. Lots of money. Um... I wouldn't if there is a if there's an exclusive on either the Xbox platform or the Sony platform that is based on the Unreal Engine, then you know Epic's already talking. Now I realize God of War, Horizon Zero Dawn, and Detroit aren't in that situation, but Epic is going to be throwing engineers at this problem to, to get that stuff ported to the PC um, because they want content in their store. I mean that's how they get to be a platform player is to get stuff into their store. It hasn't right. been confirmed other about God of War, other than it just doesn't say exclusive anymore on the web page. Well, no on the on the bottom left, it says only on PlayStation. Oh, interesting. For, people said for that for now. On on the bottom left, underneath the Santa Monica logo, the ESRB rating, and the PlayStation logo, it does say only on PlayStation. Okay. For now. Well, Interesting. Uh, but, okay, so let me ask you this, Jeff, because you, you might be able to speak a little bit better about this. A long time ago, we had Kalai from the other show on uh, Proving Gamer Game Stuff on, and we were talking about the Epic Game Store versus, you know, Valve and Steam. Mm -hmm. Is it really, like, is Epic really putting a dent into what Steam is, like, really giving them a run for the money, or is it just... Being overhyped because the you know with the epic or game the epic store game exclusives like is it really that big of a deal? As I understand it, there isn't a single developer or publisher that went epic store exclusive that regrets the decision. Um, interestingly, I think is like I want to know what the sales numbers are for Borderlands. I mean, all these people are like I'm not going to buy Borderlands. It's on Epic. Like, okay. If you want to, if that's the hill you want to die on, fine. 
die on it. I want to know what the sales are like on Steam. Like, did all of these people really hold true to that for six months, or did everyone just be internet trolls and be like, yeah, I'm not going to do that because Epic, and then run out and buy it anyways? Um, I think Borderlands 3 is the first bellwether for us to really see whether or not those numbers shifted. Now, I do know uh, Deep Silver and Koch, they said that the Metro Exodus release on Epic sold more over a given period of time than any of the Metro releases on Steam did on Day Zero releases. Um, And so, good decision for them, right? Uh, I don't know. I haven't released a game since that store came about, so I can't really speak directly to it, but it seems to me, from what I'm hearing across the industry, is people are not regretting the decision, and the revenue share difference is significant. So this is probably going to cause uh, Valve and Steam to relook over the, their revenue shares and try to be competitive. They've already addressed that a little bit. The revenue share shifts to be more like Epic, but only after a certain number of sales. And it's a large number of sales. Um, it, if you see them make another revenue share shift in the short term, that to me would be a pretty good indication that Epic is is eating into their their pie. Okay. I see. I I I don't PC game, but I always thought like because uh, Steam has the option to add a game. Mm-hmm. I always thought you could just buy from the Epic Store, add it into Steam, and then play it on Steam. But somebody said that even if you launch the game uh, that way, it still opens up the Epic Game Store. Yeah, because that's how it authenticates. Okay. Yeah, that's how it authenticates the purchase. See, it, I. I I, I didn't think it was that big, that big of a deal because everybody was like, oh, my games are on Steam. I don't want to have to download another game store to play this game. Uh, but if you're running Electronic Arts games off of Steam, you're running Origin on top of Steam. I think it's the same for you play with Ubisoft titles. Uh, it's not... And that to me, that speaks to a certain level of ignorance as to how modern computers work. Yeah, the Epic Game Store might fire up and it'll authenticate, but the second it's not doing anything, Windows 10 will page it out and basically put it in a sleep state until you access it. It's not eating into your resources. It's not sucking up things that you might need for your game. Um, I mean, all you got to do in Windows is open up the services command panel and look at all of the services that your machine runs on a regular basis and realize that most of them, if you go look at the performance tab, most of them have zero CPU percentage and zero memory usage because they're there in case they're needed. That doesn't mean that they're running. doesn't mean that they're taking anything from you. Um, it's very, that, now, granted, Windows XP, Windows 98, yes, that you kept your machines lean and mean because they weren't sophisticated enough yet to, to do that. Things just ran all the time. But And people have sort of held on to that knowledge. But modern Windows machines are very good about making sure that the processes being used get everything they need to run appropriately. I run the Steam store. I run the Epic store. I run good old games. Um, and I have a frame rate counter up and a CPU and GPU uh, process counter up when I'm running like Sea of Thieves. And I'm, I'm doing fine. It's not hurting. You know, I tried the new Call of Duty Modern Warfare game, the Battle Royale, this week, and my frame rate was awesome. 
um, and I've got all that stuff running. It's not, and I don't have a killer rig. I've got an i7 with a 1070 card and 16 gigs of RAM. It's it's middle of the road as as far as they come, and it's not a problem. All right. All right, so let's get into our topic of the week. Uh, normally, we have like this big overarching big thing that happened this week, but obviously with the coronavirus and forced everybody into quarantine mm-hmm. and taking advantage of that we have Jeff on the show, uh, I kind of wanted to get into an in-depth conversation with Jeff about how is the quarantine and having to work from home, how is that affecting game development? Sh- you know, Should we expect game delays or is everything running as smooth as possible? Like, How well are you able to work with your coworkers? All that stuff. Now, I'm going to give you the volition perspective i'm gonna okay. give, give you my perspective of the volition experience now this is going to differ across the board um working remotely has been ingrained in volition's culture for at least a decade we when we started outsourcing heavily back in the red faction guerrilla and uh saints row two days even back then when we were new to it and trying to figure out what was going on we were always approaching it in a way slightly different than other people at the time were approaching it For us, it's team extension. We give our outsourcing partners direct access to our asset database that our regular artists are working out of. Many other companies will send jobs over, get the work back, and then integrate it locally. They won't give the outsourcers this access. Um, But you want to share materials, you want to share textures, you want to share ideas. It works so much better to consider them a team extension as opposed to someone that we just have to ask to do stuff for us. And so, on t- so our IT department has, what was it, five years ago, I went to Malaysia to, to work with an outsourcer. And that was, we had to solve latency issues for our editor because the remote workers there were, were lagging a little bit. And so our IT department figured out how to solve those latency issues working with our asset database provider. And just just because Malaysia is about as far away as you can get from Champaign, Illinois, going either direction. So once we had that solved, we kind of had the problem solved for everywhere. And we also have that flexible work environment that I've talked about, which means people are allowed to work from home if they want to after being in the office for a little while. So we we were averaging, you know, maybe a dozen people would work from home over the course of a week. But the infrastructure was there because we support these, these large-scale remote connections, uh, not large scale by number, but large scale by distance, and people could work from home. We went from a majority in-house team of Volitions two to 225 right now. We're actually up post-AOM. Um, we've been on a bit of a hiring uh, spree, and actually I'd like to say that a lot of people that unfortunately were let go after AOM have come back, which is really cool. Morale in the studio is super high. And That's great news. We started doing uh, voluntary work from home. We're coming up on week three of this stuff. And we went from 225 people in the office to 20 people in the office to, I think we're down to a rotating single IT person in the office. And that happened within about 36 hours. Um, Our IT department was in the office making sure machines were working for the remote desktop connections. They were unhooking monitors and delivering monitors to home so people could have second monitors. Um, The animators were a little concerned about latency, and so they've actually transplanted the animators' workstations into their homes so they can work. And on top of that, um, 
our engineering team, we don't we don't buy an off-the-shelf engine. We we write our own, which means we write our own editors. Uh, an engineering team of about four people was assigned specifically to jump on editor issues caused by latency over the remote desktop connection. So our editor is better because of this. And we are working entirely remotely. Um, there's a lot of Microsoft Teams connections, a lot of video conferences. Uh, the room I'm in, because we don't do individual offices at Volition, the room I'm in has about 10 people in it. We all have a scheduled meeting at noon just to connect and just hang out and talk because we all miss our office conversations. And everything I'm seeing from the team meeting and from reports is that our efficiency is comparable to where it was when we were all working downtown. Um, now, whether or not that's sustainable long term, you know, people start going stir crazy, that remains to be seen. But overall, we made this transition instantaneously and are just killing it. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud of all of my coworkers for stepping up to this. I know of another I know of another developer in the industry who right before this happened, they had an organizational change and there were already some concerns about the organizational structure and now everyone's working remotely and literally workers have fallen off the grid. They, people don't know what they're doing. They're not reporting in, they're not doing other things. That's not good. Um, I know from watching some Twitter accounts of some friends that just this past week, Rare started working remotely. And that seems to me like a big cultural shift for them. And so I'm interested to see how that, that pans out. Um, I know of a developer from a, a large publisher in Florida, they were given three hours to get their butts out of the building and go home. That's all the announcement they got. At Volition, we'd been talking about it and planning for the eventuality for about two weeks before we decided to do it. These 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 workers were suddenly like, nope, you, you have to go home. And we'll, we'll get you information about how you can continue to work. That's not going to go well in the short term. Um, no. So it's, it's all over the map. I mean, and uh, small... Small uh, developer, friend of mine, another technical artist in Italy. Well, they've got all sorts of problems in Italy. They they had a uh, a ship date of last Friday, and he got on the technical artist Slack. There is a worldwide technical artist Slack channel if you want to hang out with Uber nerds. Um, <laughs> he got on he got on the Slack channel like Monday of last week, and he's like, "How are you guys solving?" this remote access to your asset databases because we all work in the office. And all of these technical artists from all around the world were like, no, you guys are gonna ship on Friday. We're not gonna let that not happen. And so solutions and ideas were flying from all the corners of the earth to help this little development team with a mobile game in Italy so that they could get their game out the door. And they did, they shipped, actually they shipped Wednesday, they shipped early. And so, that, awesome. that, right? That makes me feel good to know that my people are out there doing that sort of thing. Um, and it's and everybody I talk to, we all know we're in uncharted territory. Everyone is moving forward as if there's not going to be a delay because there have been no delays discussed with publishers, which means there are no there are there are no consignments for paying extra milestones. Um, so everyone's gung ho like we have to get our jobs done. Um, I, for me, it hasn't been a huge transition because I've made liberal use of the work from home policy just because, I mean, I've got two teenage daughters 
And I pick them up from school a couple of days a week and I bring them home and I work from home. And some days I'll, I'll be like, I'll go to the office and by noon I'm like, I'm not being creative here. I'm going to go home and be creative. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, my, my commute is one hallway. Um, the refrigerator is dangerously close and I'm probably snacking too much. <laughs> um, but in terms I'm of getting my work. And my wood shop is right on the other side of the wall from my computer, and I'd rather be out there making sawdust. And I, I've, you know, I need to. But I also, I mean, I start working at like 6 a.m. and I get done by 4 p.m. and which is my normal work time. And seven to four is about what I normally work, anyways. And so, you know, I'm not. I'm making sure I don't get just unintentionally chained to my desk chair and putting extra work in. Um, this gym I've been going to for probably 10 years now for these Monday, Wednesday, Friday sort of group fitness, like cross training type classes. Since we can't go to the gym anymore, the owner of the gym sends out text messages. I'll, you'll, my phone will probably start going nuts here in about a half an hour of, Hey, who, who's in for the, who's in for the virtual challenges tomorrow. And then he'll post the collection of exercises to do. And everyone's on their honor to count how many reps they're doing over the course of the day. And by six 30, like send them all in. And then he shows who did the most and, and, and then sets it all up for the next day. And so we're all still kind of working out together, even though we're not in sight of each other. And that's kind of a fun thing to do. So everyone's adapting, you know, we're all counting all right. our toilet paper sheets. <laughs> I hope you're stocked up. Uh, well, I just I I stopped pooping. <laughs> Stop pooping. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right, Alex, you have any questions? No. <laughs> no, I mean, as always, Jeff explains things very thoroughly, and he also, <laughs> you know, if if something branches off, he'll cover that too. So, I mean, like, I I don't have any questions. I mean, I, a lot of people are concerned with the fact that because, you know, with working from home, obviously, you know, you don't have that direct access where if you're having a problem, you could just walk over to the next desk and do it. A lot of people worried about games getting delayed. I mean, I, I'd be a little selfishly. I'm a little worried about The Last of Us 2 being delayed. Well, I mean, our, our world is so interconnected now and there's so many ways to reach out to people that if you have an issue, you know, if you truly have the tools that you need to do your job from home. If your concern is an issue and that you can't reach out to people, like get on Skype, you have phone numbers, you got text messages. I'm sure that if Jeff is having an issue, he can reach out to a coworker pretty easily. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the modern versions of Visual Studio, I don't use Visual Studio because I don't do C, but also Visual Studio Code, which is what we all write our Python code in, has this cool feature called Live Share, which is different from screen sharing. It's co-editing. So you're working on a problem, and I've done this a couple of times already in the past week, and you're like, I really, I don't think I'm getting this right. You can just send out an invite to a coworker, and suddenly an extra cursor appears in your code document with their name over it. And you can even, while you're doing a Teams voice call, you can explain what's going on, and they're in there editing the same file you're working on. And so you can even sort of still pair program, which is awesome. Man, that's Without, just like, usually, I mean, far less of impressive in our situation, but that's just like Google Docs when, you know... Tricky has a Google Doc up, and someone's in there uh, writing dirty and crass things on his Google Doc that he's been working on for hours. Same thing. So much more powerful than a screen share where it's only one person working at a time. Okay. All right. So let's get into. I, I post on uh, Facebook. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You're you not going to ask me? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I figured you were just sitting there absorbing the knowledge. No. Well, I am absorbing get knowledge. I had, I, I had something I was going to ask. 
you and Alex, but with Jeff being on here, it works even better. So if, if you could create one type of game, like a passion project or something that you would think would be really cool, what would that be? For, for like an example for me, what I was thinking last night was take like, like uh, Sky Odyssey. That was like a launch title for the PlayStation 2. Something, mm-hmm. something like that with uh, Crimson Skies. Oh, Crimson Skies for for the for the Xbox, kind of like an air pirate game. I love that kind of airplane adventure slash air pirates. If, mm-hmm. if, Maybe if, along if, the lines if, of Skies of Arcadia for the Dreamcast. Yeah. So if if, you, if if something like that could be made again, or if I was talented enough to make something like that, that would be the route I would go. But what would what would like tricky is an Alex B and definitely Jeff. If you had the okay, here you go. You can do whatever you want. What 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 would the, the realm or the the path you would go down? I would I would probably end up trying to get a modern version of Air Warrior. Because to me, that was still the golden era of all of this. I mean, we're talking the late 80s, early 90s, and I'm I'm in a community of people that I've never met, and I only know them from, like, literally typing. But yet we're having these experiences of fictitious World War II air battles. And I still talk to some of those people today, and that happened 25 years ago. And so the bonds that were made there, the power that that game had has a huge hold on me, and so I would probably try to bring that back. Ooh, I like that. I like World War II stuff. Alex, what, what would you do? You know, honestly, um, rather than just... I, I, I don't want to say, because like, for me, like there's tons of games I'd like to bring back and have a new version of, but I don't know, maybe something with giant monsters like Kaiju, although Platinum Games might be doing something with that, uh, as we've seen from the teasers for their new project, but I, was, we, I went to a uh, the Louisville Arcade Expo about a month ago, and uh, one of the games I played there, because they had the old video games, but they had, like, Neo Geos and stuff, and they had King of the Monsters, and, like, just a giant, like, m- like fighting game with giant monsters, like Kaiju, like, something like that, seems like a project, like, it could be it could be really bad, because you could do it really simplistically, because I've seen pictures and, like, video of the, um, the Pacific Rim video game that came out, and that did not look good. But something with giant Kaijus, like, I think that could be a really cool game. Well, I can tell you one thing, Jeff. You make that game, you've got a buyer. <clears throat> uh, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for World War II games. I've, have you seen the videos of the new Microsoft Flight Simulator they're coming out with? No, I haven't. It's ridiculous. And I'm just like, if, I could, if they're going to allow that to be modded, I mean, it is... They're in real time taking Bing world data and dynamically creating the buildings on top of the satellite imagery so you're seeing the, the cities. Okay, maybe I did see something about that. Uh, about it's it, it was just like a single engine plane that they showed flying, wasn't it? Yeah, but it's that's 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 just the that's not the whole game. That's just the Well, game. yeah, but it's nuts how beautiful this thing is going to be. And I'm like if I could use that as a base. Right? Right. So we'll see. So when you're done with Psychonauts, you should move on to another Double Fine game. You should pick up Stacking. God, I love that game. I loved it. I need to go Actually, back and play that, but I, I bought it when it first came out, and I love that game. That, that I, think we got the, I think we got that for free, though. Oh, yeah. That was, I think, the first, to my recognition, the double first Double Fine game I've ever played. 
was stacking. Oh, wow. And I was like, I was like, wow, this game's really fun. And then you go back and you start playing other games. And I went back and started playing Psychonauts because of Alex's, uh, Alex and Donnie's talk of it. I'm like, all right, I'll give this a try. And it's like, wow, I didn't realize how many, how much fun I've had with Double Fine games. You didn't play Brutal Legend? I did, but I didn't pick it up right away. I played Stacking before I played Brutal Legend. Yeah. Okay. And I, I borrowed uh, it, it from a buddy. Headlander, if you haven't played Headlander, is brilliant in its 70s sci-fi aesthetic and humor. Um, it's sort of a... It's sort of a modern Metroid, but you're a detached head with a jetpack built in, and you have to take over robot bodies to get around this space station. I th- I've seen that on the store. We might have gotten it's, that for free. It's good. So it's okay. kind of like you the can, opposite. You can of burn through it in a rainy instead afternoon. Instead of taking your body into somebody else's mind, you're putting your mind onto somebody else's body. Yeah. Right. And and there, Lee Petty, who's one of the original. Uh, Double Fine guys, he's also on the advisory board, and Lee and I hang out whenever I'm in San Francisco, and he was the main development, he was the creative and the producer, I believe, on Headlander, and it just is a wonderful illustration about what goes on inside of that guy's head. Cause it's awesome. Cool. Okay, so big on Psychonauts, he was, he was big on stacking, um, he, yeah, and then he did this thing, and you're just like, this is bizarre. It's so good. Okay, Tricky. So, right. so, did you hear what my question was? Uh, no, I actually had to walk away. I'm okay. sorry. Mama so, D's in the shower, so I missed the question. So, so what I did was, was if, if you could make one game, like this is your passion project. Mine was you take uh, like Sky Odyssey and Crimson Skies and make kind of a an airplane, air pirate game like that. Uh, Jeff's was kind of like a, a World War II game. And... Uh, I forget what Alex's was. Alex Kaiju's. Kaiju's. You're fighting giant Kaiju's. So, if if you could make a game, and you had, you know, here you go. We just want you to develop a game. What would you like? I think this would be really cool. This is what I enjoy playing. I, I've. It's weird that you asked me this because I've been thinking about a game that I'd love to play for a long time, and I have. A concept, but I don't really know how it would work. And that's like a military type game. Let's just say there's a battlefield, and <clears throat> the four of us are, you know, individually playing. You yield, you go in, and instead of being killed, you're captured and you're brought to a location, and that you basically cannot play. Until you send out a distress signal, and then somebody on your friends list goes in, gets you, gets you, and carries you out to a safe zone, and then you can start playing again. Ooh, I'm intrigued. And I, I thought that'd be really cool because it actually like would require strategy. Saying, okay, yield went in, and this we, you know, the commander gave yield a mission. And this is the mission. Yield is now a prisoner of war. And now the, com- the commander's got to send a team in to rescue you. What I feel is the problem and the crux of that game is how aggravating is it going to be if you, you get caught 
and then nobody goes and you know rescues you. So it could be a week or two weeks before you actually can play the game again. Ooh, okay. That that would that would be a crux. Right. So, like, it, it's weird because I kind of started forming a, a, a game like that in my mind, but I don't know how that would work. And like I said, the major crux of that is, you know, if you're if you're captured, you cannot play the game until somebody rescues you. So it's kind of like an MMO strategy shooter. That's the best way I can describe it. Okay. I, I just thought that would be really cool because it would actually take real commitment to go and rescue you. And even if I got to you, you know, obviously, you know, you've probably been tortured or, you, you know, whatever. You have to get back. You have to get out before you can play. I have, right. I have to get you to a safe zone. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And what happens? What happens if I go in to go get you, and then as I'm going to get you, I'm captured. Now I need another team that's going to be has to go in and get both of us. So, I, I like I said, I don't know how it work, and you know, but I I, I kind of had those kind of thoughts lately. Like, am I out of my mind, Jeff? <laughs> no, no. <clears throat> it's it's a hard problem. Um, but you're not out of your mind for having a dream. It, it's the question is how do you make the I've been captured role compelling? And the first thing I thought of is it's the first job of anyone who's captured to try to escape. So it doesn't mean that the person that's been captured is just offline and not doing anything for a few weeks. Maybe they get chances to try to break out of where they wherever they are. It's you know it's a very like Call of Duty Black Ops sort of thing. Um, oh, can I cut you off for a question? Because I forgot one aspect of my idea. Mm-hmm. I th- I thought it'd be really cool. Is say if Yield was captured, it would not allow us or not allow him to contact us to let him let us know he was captured. That he would honestly be on his own until we went and got him. Yeah, and I'm just going to counter that with Discord. Well, obviously, I mean, there's going to be ways around it, but I'm just saying, like, if he got captured, somehow it locked his PlayStation messages so he couldn't send us a PlayStation message saying, hey, I was captured. Interesting. Interesting. I don't know. I'd have to think about it. Yeah. There's, there's got to be a way intriguing. to make captured job compelling. And I've said before, I'm not a game designer. I don't get that. Those people are weird in one way, so. <laughs> Maybe something like that would make people more strategic about not getting captured and more strategic about completing their objective. Yeah, I mean, obviously... Sorry, sweet mama D's asking me what time she has to go to bed. Hi. Hello. <laughs> All right, go away so I can finish the show, please. Yes. <laughs> All right, so Jeff, uh, we did post in the Facebook uh, group. Uh, obviously, you know about that because you left us a question as well. Mm-hmm. I'll but, let you feel. But, yes. But uh, our first question comes from Levi. Um, he says, will we ever get a non-VR version of Half-Life Alex?" Now, obviously, you're not working on the game, but, like, do you have any experience with the VR? Like, how much development has to go into that and... Could somebody that spent that much time making a VR version of a game, 
you know, is it worth them to not make a VR version? Well, it's already happened on a, new, on a number of occasions. Uh, the Star Trek Bridge Commander game went non-VR. Um, but I've watched some playthroughs on, on Half-Life Alex, and I think it would be a particularly hard one to do because so much of the game is you actually interacting with the world with your two virtual hands. Um, I don't know how you would translate that other than QuickTime events, and that's not going to be the same gameplay experience because these Half-Life Alex isn't QuickTime events. There's a video on YouTube of a guy's in a room, and there's a head crab in the room, and the guy picks up an office chair, and the head crab comes at him, and he pushes the office chair at the head crab, and then twists it and pushes the head crab through a glass window. And that's emergent gameplay. That's fun because he did something with the environment he was provided. Having a yellow Y button flash on screen for you to press it at the certain time to accomplish the same thing isn't going to have the same payoff. And that's just one example. Half-Life Alex is full of that stuff. It's, it's you navigating a world. It is probably the most compelling VR game yet. But does that make it a system seller? I don't know. Um, and uh, if it isn't a system seller, does Valve want to leave it as this mystique because they want people to do VR, or is Valve interested in the bottom line? And I don't necessarily know that Valve is going to live or die by the money made on this one game. So I wouldn't put a lot of money on Valve re releasing a non-VR version, personally. All right, and uh, side question, are we ever going to get Half-Life 3? I could go on <laughs> about why I'm actually surprised they made Half-Life Alex. Um, okay. I don't. So should we, should we never, just leave this never, alone then? Never say never. Um, but I don't know. I wouldn't put it in any reasonable time frame. Okay. All right. So we're just gonna skip your question. Oh. Well, my question was: Do you was, was do you guys record today? <laughs> no. Yeah. You. But his this last was, question this was, was recorded yesterday. Okay. He, he he had a he had a follow up question was uh anti BNZ follow uh anti BNZ follow up what time, and then he had another question he goes oh and one more teeny weeny question will I need a microphone? Well, well no because no, the the government picks up everything we're saying. Okay, all right. See, you're 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 good. Facebook just pushes it right at you. Yes. Uh, all right, and for our last it'll send question, you ads from, from what they hear you say. So, for our last question from the uh, audience, Curtis says, Is there any chance for a follow-up to Agents of Mayhem? While not loved by most, I thoroughly enjoyed it and gave me flashbacks of G.I. Joe OG cartoon. Which is exactly what we wanted you to have flashbacks on. So, I'm glad that happened. Uh, again, never say never. Uh, I am going to leave it at that. Uh, I, just re I just started playing it again on Steam. Um, there's a lot that we got right in that game. There's a lot, both internal and external, that made that game not what we wanted it to be. But some of the some of the character backstory missions are phenomenal. Like Daisy, I don't know if you've played the game, but Daisy's backstory, when you get a new character, they have a backstory mission, so you can like figure out what's going on with them. Her backstory right. mission is, with a hangover, try and remember what happened the night before. 
and she is a roller derby queen with a minigun. And part of her flashback is her having it out with a fiberglass octopus in front of a sushi restaurant because she just wants a damn pizza. And it's, it's, it's beyond funny. Her, and, and she keeps having these flashbacks. And so you keep jumping between the night before and the current day with her with a hangover trying to figure out what was going on the night before. And she ends up in a robot fight club. And it just gets it just keeps going down the path of ridiculousness. And it's so good. Um, I would I, I think there's a lot in that world that we could explore. Uh, obviously, there's a certain connection with that world to one of the endings of Saints Row 4. Um we got so much right with the technology. Uh, the artists were on top of their game on that one. I think we did a brilliant job with the way uh, Seoul, South Korea looks. And there's a lot to be proud of there. Uh, I think another 10 months in the oven would have seen that game be something really, really good. But we just weren't going to get that, unfortunately. Maybe All someday. Right. Maybe someday. Yield, do you have any questions for Jeff? No. Just, just the whole passion project the game to make yeah I'm gonna right. cha- I want to change my answer on that I've had this idea for a game where you get dropped in an arena and slowly the walls close in around you and at the end you get a turkey dinner <laughs> all right I don't know if it'll fly though I, I don't think you got that reference no I didn't but I was going with it <laughs> That's basically any Battle Royale game. Oh, okay. <laughs> See, that would be why, because I don't do Battle Royale. I don't either. I can't believe I tried that Call of Duty Warzone thing this week. I am so bad at those. Like, drop it, in, and I'm dead. Drop in, and I'm dead. I don't get the point. See, I'd be interested in playing it, but it I can't do first-person shooter games. Um, see, no. I'm, more, I'm, I'm more of a team-based player. So, being out there for yourself... And, and I... Being out there for yourself, I'm not necessarily that great at it, and I I hate the tactics of those type of battle royals where one person will just go hide and wait for everybody oh, yeah. to kill everybody out, and then comes out and goes boom, ha! I'm the greatest. It's like no, you hid the entire time. You're not good at all. Well, listen, I there's nothing wrong with that strategy because back when Fortnite had the Thanos uh, integration. Yeah, I jumped in the game just to try it, and I literally held, uh, hid in a tub until the circle came down. It was uh, down to the two of us, and then obviously Thanos killed me. But in my first ever battle royale game, I got second place. See, horrible strategy. What did you learn during that whole time? That if I hide in the bathtub, I can get second place. Uh. Hey, let's let's be honest. If we actually ever got red dawned, I would hide. Just say it. Well, you're probably right there. <laughs> All right, Alice, you have any questions? No, I'm good. All right. So let's uh let's close out the show. What do you say? Let's clean sure. this shit up. Provengame.com is looking for some writers, podcasts, and video as news supports and generalized help with the site. If you're just in playing, go to provengame.com, click on the help one tab and fill out the application, and I will get back to you as soon as possible. Uh, while you're there, be sure to check out all the articles and all the videos. Speaking of videos, they can be found on YouTube by doing a search for Official Proven Gamer. You can also catch me streaming at twitch.tv backslash Proven Gamer and also twitch.tv backslash extra life for kids. That's the number four. 
when I stream on Sundays between 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, trying to raise money for Extra Life. If you want to get a hold of us, there are several ways to get a hold of us. There is our phone number. Yield, what is the phone number? 330-PROVEN-9. 330? That's not right. Oh, that's yes, right. Is right. That is right. For some reason, I had a brain fart. 330! 425 episodes. You don't know the number? <laughs> well, for the first probably 50, I didn't know the number because I didn't have to do it. It's 330-776-8369. For some reason, all of a sudden, it just didn't sound right. Uh, Alice, what is our email? Trophyhors at ProvenGamer.com. And if you want to contact us on Twitter, there's several ways. You can contact the site at Proving Gamer. Contact the show at Trophy Wars. Contact me at Tricky Mick. Contact Yield at I Yield to No One. Contact Alex at Saundersaurus Rex. And Jeff, I forgot yours. Uh, at Jeff underscore Hannah on Twitter. Or you, you can find me on Facebook at Jeff Hannah. But Twitter is probably better for random connection. Uh, if you listen to this podcast, we greatly appreciate it. Be sure to listen to our other podcasts, PG, Spoilers, and Game Stuff. All the podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes, Stitcher, your various podcast applications, Tony Smart Devices, Google Play, Pandora, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. And if you can, leave a review and subscribe to your favorite service. We have PlayStation 4 communities. There's one for the site called Proving Gamer. There's one for the show called Trophy Horrors. Horrors is spelt with two Vs because Shuhei will not let us say horrors on the network. And Yield Group, which there's no reason to post in because they'll never give you a shout-out, which is the Platinum Guild. Yield, do you want to answer to your crimes? No. Okay. Uh, you know, because people that are quarantined probably would like their shout-outs. Everybody's quarantined. Well, That's most everybody. Only about, only about half the states have done it so far. Most people. Which just blows my mind. Uh, Alex, tell us about Humble Bundle, sir. Humble Bundle is a charity initiative. Every month they bundle together digital media, whether it be books, games, uh, and they sell them at a reduced price. Essentially, you name your own price. Now, the bundles are tiered, so the more money that you put in, the more of the content that you'll get. For instance, there's a base level where if you pay a little bit, then you'll get uh, a fraction of the games, whereas if you pay uh, a lot more, you'll get, um, and I say a lot more, like 20 bucks, and you'll get the entire bundle. Uh, the bundles are generally worth over $200, so it's well worth you putting a little bit more money also going to help charity. Uh, you can go to HumbleBundle.com to see what they are uh, offering this month, and you can sign up for their electronic newsletter to keep up with all of the news. All right. Yield, tell us about Amazon. And don't tell me it's a rainforest in Brazil. Well, you already know, so what do I got to tell you about it? So, when ProvenGamer.com is back up and running, is it back up and running? It's up and running. Okay, so now that it's back up and running, you can go to ProvenGamer.com first. On the side of the screen, there will be an Amazon ad. You can click it, take you over to Amazon. You can do your shopping as you normally would. And a proceeds of what you purchase gets kicked back to us to help pay for this fancy recruiting recording studio and helps us recruit people like Jeff. All right, and we have our Patreon, which is patreon.com backslash Proven Gamer. No matter what tier you decide to support us at, know that it's greatly appreciated and does help keep the lights on as well with Amazon. Uh, remember, if you're Amazon Prime, you're also Twitch Prime, you can go there and support the page uh, for free once every 30 days. Uh, if you subscribe, don't worry. I will send you a message saying your 30 days are almost up uh, to let you know to redo it. 
With that being said, let's close out the show with some shout-outs. Jeff, let's start with you, sir. Uh, I'd just like to shout-out to everyone who's properly socially distancing and washing their hands and taking this whole thing seriously. We are in strange times right now, and the best thing we can do is to keep flattening that curve so we slow this thing as much as possible before we can actually cure it. All right. Alex? Give a shout-out to the listeners, the fuel to the fire this trophy horse. Thank you all very much for listening and supporting us, pushing us to even greater heights. We know that your time is precious, and, you know, there. even with you being stuck at home, we appreciate you slicing out a cut of your life to uh, to join us every single week. Uh, give a shout-out to Tricky and Yield for recording tonight, as well as Jeff, who is always an amazing guest co-host, uh, coming on and answering all of our questions and providing some insider uh, insight and knowledge, expertise into the video game industry. Uh, and last but not least, a uh, shout-out to my awesome girlfriend, Ashley. Uh, I love you, honey. Yield? Shout-out to Tricky and Alex for recording tonight. A big shout-out to Jeff for being on here and having his insight. And as always... A shout-out to all the pimps and the madams of the whoredom. Thank you for downloading, interacting, and being just you. And I want to give a shout-out to the listeners. Big shout-out to Jeff. Jeff, it's always amazing when you come on an episode. I wish we could get you on more. I promise the next time will not be two years from now. Well, it also, I mean, I couldn't make an excuse and just leave the house tonight, so you kind of had me cornered. <laughs> uh, Shout-out to the goddess who is waiting to cook me dinner, which is always great, appreciated. Uh, shout out to Sweet Mama D who interrupted the show to find out her bedtime. Was excited to find out that she gets to choose her own bedtime as long as she follows the rules and wakes up at 8 a.m. with no problems. Uh, and with that being said, let's close out the show. Uh, happy trophy hunting. Bye. Later. See ya. The theme song is Venus by the band Even off their album Zenith. Permission granted by the band and 12 Stone Records. You can find them on Facebook by going to www.facebook.com slash evenphilippines.